Hello, 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 and welcome to Longevity Now, the place for all your news and views of life extension from around the world. When talking about radical life extension, there are usually two main themes, biology and technology. Much of the near-term focus is on biology. Longevity supports many researchers around the world working on curing the diseases of aging and rejuvenating the human body. But you don't have to think too far into the future to realize technology and software will play a big part in human evolution, that we might be able to modify ourselves in dramatic ways. This has been an increasing theme in various films and books. In this podcast, I speak with Andy and Kay Walker, authors of a new book, Super You. Listen in and find out how they envision the future of human evolution. And now I would like to welcome to the podcast, Andy and Kay Walker. Well, hey there. Hi. Well, first off, how about an introduction, if you could maybe condense your prolific careers in journalism and technology in a few short sentences so listeners uh, could get a good grasp about what Andy and Kay Walker are all about. Sure. So people probably know me best from a show called Call for Help with a guy called Leo Laporte and Amber MacArthur. Uh, I, I used to watch it, in fact. Very good. Okay, good. So then I was one of the co-hosts on that show for several years, and uh, this is going back almost a decade now, but you know, the, that's sort of been a, a, a culmination of the years and years of being a journalist uh, covering technology and writing syndicated columns and that sort of thing. Uh, and around that time, too, I'd wrote a, written a bunch of other technology books. I could, perhaps the one that was best known was uh, a security book called, um, well, it was a bunch of different security books, kind of Pradami's type things. And then... Uh, Kay and I are uh, we're married, and uh, will you tell them how you kind of got into the project? Well, actually, it was Pearson Education that approached Andy originally to write Super U, and you know we had a conversation about it because at the time I was studying neuroscience and very much so interested into this whole um, conversation about Super U, a little less on the, you know, more in the invasive. Uh, non-invasive, sorry, technology side of things, how to rewire your thinking to be superhuman. So, um, you know, so naturally I joined him in the process and we do have a third author, Sean. Yeah, Sean, Sean Carruthers, who's, Sean and I did a podcast years ago called Lab Rats as well. So the sort of the three of us teamed up. Uh, initially, it was going to be a project that, you know, they approached me on and I, and I realized there's just no way that I could do it myself. Kay jumped in. Um, as a co-author, and then we brought Sean in on the on the back end of the book just to kind of get it done in time for uh, next spring, uh, because you know. So you know, okay. we, we all came in from different directions. So that was kind of how that came together. All right. Well, you already mentioned it. Your upcoming book is Super You: How Technology Is Revolutionizing What It Means to Be Human. Could you give us just a little teaser of what some readers might expect in the book? Yeah, absolutely. So the book came about when the uh, editor that I've been working with, he saw a, a National Geographic uh, special on uh, on biohackers, guys that were putting, you know, magnets under the fingertips and that sort of thing and really like integrating technology, you know, into the human body. And being that we've been covering uh, technology for years and years, it's the next logical thing to integrate flesh with silicon. That was sort of the initial premise. And he said, you know, can we can we put together a book that, you know, blends the two? Because really the next the revolution that's coming around technology for humans is going to be, you know, stem cells and uh, hacking your DNA and hacking babies to, you know, have them, you know, be blonde or blue-eyed or whatever, or, you know, male or female. Um, and all the kind of technologies that, that sort of merge your biology with physical and, you know, silicon chips and that sort of thing. So we, we wrote that book. 
and I would say the book also, you know, it really it covers everything that Andy was just talking about. We've got everything from, you know, a chapter on designer babies. We have one on longevity. We have one on um, how to hack your brain and okay. expand okay. your intelligence. Yeah. So it's really giving you kind of this whole snapshot in each way that you could uh, expand your human your Humanity biology through through technology. Through technology. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I've been following uh, technology and transhumanism for quite some time now, and I would have to say, seems to be going a little slow thus far. In fact, I did interview Todd Huffman, one of the first people to ever put a magnet in his finger. That was almost ten years ago. Yeah. Doesn't seem like much progress has happened since then. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you well, see? The DIY, you know, hacking obviously, you know, is kind of reserved for the for the fringe, the, you know, the, the the garage guys, people that are a little, little nutty, you know, it's an extension of tattoos and piercings and that sort of thing. Uh, certainly a contingent, you know, you're not going to have your average housewife uh, engineering, you know, RFID chips under her forearm on skin anytime soon. But the premise of this book is, you know, it all starts with, uh, you know, sort of the bleeding edge. And then once upon a time, there was, uh, you know, LASIK surgery, for example, just to give a very common surgery that today is, you know, $500 to $1,000 an eye to improve your vision. You know, that was a $10,000, $20,000 surgery. It was experimental and that sort of thing. And today, you can go down to the mall pretty much and get it done with a walkout appointment, right? So a lot of this technology that starts, starts out as kind of a bit crazy, it goes mainstream within, you know, within 5, 10, and 20 years. And we've been following the Kurzweilian way of thinking. You know, we got, we got Ray Kurzweil, who, of course, is the author of uh, The Singularity is Near and a series of other books to talk about the future, and uh, got him on the phone and sort of talked to him about the future and the accelerating improvement of technology and how that's bringing the future faster, ever faster towards us. And what we realized is if you have a linear thinking, li linear approach to technology, you know, things get better every year sort of thing, versus this logarithmic improvement that seems to be happening, what may seem like nuts today is pretty much going to be on your doorstep in five years or 10 years or, you know, or less than that for that matter. What do you say to people who say that the singularity, technology, transhumanism, upgrading your biology is just good news for rich people and potentially very bad for the less fortunate? Now, I say this knowing that typically, as you mentioned, technology does eventually reach the masses and it becomes much cheaper through time. But with upgrades to our biology and our brains, won't that exacerbate differences between the haves and the have-nots a lot quicker? Yeah, it, it could. It, but I'll give you a really good example of the difference, you know, you know using a real-life example. So going back 15 years ago, I took a ride on a fantail boat down one of the rivers in Thailand. And there are these, you know, huts on stilts, Right. As we went down the river, and as you peered in, you could see one single light. And the single light was a flickering television, right? So with satellite dishes on the top of these straw huts. So once upon a time, and if, if I go back, you know, in my childhood to the mid-70s, we had a black and white television, didn't have color, of course. Um, and television was a technology of the rich and, uh, you know, the wealthy. And now, of course, everybody has a screen on their, on their watch or on their phone or whatever it is. And it's a, it's a pennies kind of technology. So the information, information age came very, very quickly. And in fact, if anything, they talk about that access to technology and information as part of the reason why the Berlin Wall fell and you know, the, the, uh, the Russian Empire or the Soviet Union crumbled and that sort of thing. 
So yes, you're right. It, it, these new technologies will bring a division, a further division of the rich versus the poor. But as it's adopted, it's going to become mass market and then it's going to become ubiquitous. And I don't think, just as television hasn't divided us, or in the mobile phones, for example, the lawyers are carrying around briefcases with these things in the 80s, and now your average teenage kid from the backwoods of Bhutan, for example, carries a cell phone. So it, there is no evidence to show that it divides us further. If anything, it brings us together. This next question is from a Longevity Now podcast listener. Uh, is transhumanism totally irreconcilable with religion? <laughs> Uh, not necessarily. We talked to, um, it's Sven. Yeah, it's Sven. Sultan and Sven. He's the, you know, the, you guys probably know that if you, if you're following transhumanism, uh, you know, he's the, uh, the president of the transhumanist party and is running for president in the next U uh, S election. Yes. And, and he talks about, you know, that division of you know, transhumanism being sort of almost operating independently of any kind of religious beliefs. But he said, there could be a Jesus Christ singularity. Like, why not? I mean, the reality is it's not independent. The science versus church, the science versus religion conversation that's been going on forever doesn't necessarily have to exist. You can believe in something and still follow transhumanism. And a funny point that he brought up, too, which I think is, is kind of fun to mention, is you know the irony that a lot of these religious leaders and, and policymakers are walking around with pacemakers right now. So having to force this conversation of technology and where it's leading us and um, allowing us to live longer. I mean, it's just a natural conversation that's going to have to be had at some point. Yeah, good answer. All right. Here's another listener question. Does instant information mean the end of novelty? Say we're jacking our brains into the matrix, right? And we get instant information on everything, instant entertainment all the time. Does that mean the end of novelty? I don't think so. I mean, novelty comes from humor, creativity, and, um, you know, I think there's still room for creativity. I mean, even let's say we, we have nanites floating around in our brain. It connects to the, to the cloud in 30 years' time, and we have instant access to the Google neocortex. Uh, and, you know, you know I, I can think of all the Charlie Chaplin movies ever made, including I have access to all of the dialogue and everything like that. It still will require me as, as my unique personality to, to couple together some information to turn a piece of humor, right? I could access a database of jokes and speak those things. But the reality is I think the human spirit, creativity, and just what makes us organically human isn't necessarily going to be crushed by an information fire hose. If anything, it will enable us to be more of ourselves. Um, you know, if someone's approaching me and I want to say something funny to them, but I can't quite think of something, um, you know, having the ability to just access the cloud would give me that ability to be funny in that moment, whereas I may not naturally have that ability. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, next question also from a listener is about... Editing your baby's DNA, something that could be possible in the near future. How will that happen? How will we know that the editing has been done correctly? Well, the idea of gene splicing, gene editing is not a new technology. I mean, the reality is, is that there's one particular doctor we spoke with uh, out of San Diego, and, and you know, he's been doing gender selection for years. It's a very raw process. They put fertilized eggs into a petri dish and they select. Now, 
That said, they do, when they pull you know, one of these fertilized eggs out, they can do a gene analysis to see what's going on, if there's anything untoward about that, those genetics before they actually implant them into the mother and she can become pregnant. So there's, there's a whole, I would say, process, due process, standard operating procedure that, that allows us to, to do that and understand that. And because we've hacked the human genome now, we've mapped it, it's no mystery anymore. It's, it's, it's as simple as you know, opening your cupboard and seeing how much, you know, what ingredients you have in the cupboard to make spaghetti sauce. It's that pedestrian. So can you make a mistake? Sure. There's this one doctor we spoke to. What was, what was his name? Again? Dr. Steinberg. Dr. Steinberg. What he said is this. He says he doesn't guarantee that you can have a boy or a girl right now. He says, I, I make no promises. He said, but I've had no errors. He says they, they work with a 99.9% .9 accuracy. This is the Fertility Institutes in Dr. Steinberg. And they leave that small 0.1% up to, or sorry, um, yeah, 0.1% uh, up to science always. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I, you never know. Right. And so, of course, there is going to be room for error. I mean, you, when, when he, he has the ability to give you a curly hair baby, or a, you know, a blonde baby, or a, a tall baby, or a, a baby that has uh, a polygenic kind of selection, like a tennis player, for example. And he doesn't do it right now because the resistance from you know uh, policymakers and, and religious leaders and that sort of thing. Um, but well, he actually shared a story that the Vatican had had come to him. His entire uh, work was around. Um, children with albinism and correcting their issues and then he they learned that they could genetically modify and correct these other traits so if you want a child with curly hair you could actually have a child with curly hair if you want a child with brown eyes over blue eyes you can have a child with brown brown eyes over blue eyes but um, he actually took his list of a hundred traits and he put that away because the Vatican approached him and said, you know, maybe you should quiet down. and Maybe yeah. you shouldn't be doing this right now. You're making people a little uncomfortable. So that's just another... another he backed off. Yeah. But the reality is, you know, will mistakes be made? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, but then how often do you go to an ATM and you get, you don't get, you get $40 instead of 20 I mean, it's rare, 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 rare. Right. Um, and there's always going to be error thrown in just in the process. All right. One of the last questions here. <laughs> Over a decade ago, a longevity member wrote The Transhuman Condition. It was a white paper where he contemplated the possibility of divorcing our senses from our evolved adaptive behavior. His concern was that if pleasure is divorced from adaptive behavior, people could end up being rewarded for engaging in maladaptive or morally wrong behavior. Think of Amazon's Mechanical Turk. To use some subjective terminology from the modern day, terrorists could use Amazon's platform to get distributed workers making deadly weapons. Without oversight, workers would be rewarded without knowing they were potentially killing millions of people. If they were, say, jacked into a system that piqued the reward centers of their brain, they would be positively giddy while destroying the world. Is that a problem that you foresee? I don't think so. I mean, it, it brings into question whether we're going to you know, divorce our natural state of being human. And I don't think that's the case. It makes me think of a couple of things. One, uh, we as, as human beings, we avoid pain and we chase re like reward. We, we chase pleasure. Well, you can't engineer that out of a human being, right? There's just no way to do that. Organically, you can't take that out of our genes. Now, maybe over time, it could be evolved out of our genes. But I think in the short term anyway, we're going to be largely satisfied and pleasured all the time because there's going to be massive resources. Evil comes by when there's a shortcoming of something and somebody needs to take over 
to command a resource that's in shortfall. Wars are fought over energy because there's a shortage, over water because there's a shortage, over you know those kinds of things. So first of all, you have to massively motivate individuals for pleasure when pleasure is going to be easily accessible everywhere. It's going to be you know a, a virtual utopian ability. You want to feel good? No problem. You'll be able to plug in and you can be feel as good as you like. So unless there's going to be a massive motivation. And then the second piece, of course, we've got to think about is that these things are not going to evolve without oversight. There are going to be stop gaps in the system. It's not like we're going to create massive uh, issues where there are going to be holes in the system that can be, can be uh, bulldozed. AI and on all of the systems that are going to be guarding that are going to be, they're going to be there to make sure that there is a certain uh, sandbox that we all play in as well. And if I can just comment on that as well, I think, now I haven't read the white paper, but what I will say about the thought process there is it seems to be going along a line of linear type thinking um, when thinking about the future. If you think about how we're going to be as when this transhumanism era arises, we're going to be very different humans. And as Andy was saying, we are probably going to be people who are rewarded a lot more and pleasured a lot more. But is it a bad thing? Not necessarily. There's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, imagine if you could wake up and you don't have to go to a job you hate. You could just have a robot go instead and you can go and study what you want to study and do what you want to do. That could create a world onto its own that's much more exciting than it is now. And we could, the possibilities are kind of endless from what we can create there as, as that kind of human. All right. Well, thank you very much for the detailed answers there. <laughs> Lastly, when will the book be out? And is there anything else the two of you would like to promote, perhaps any appearances you might be uh, making on TV or other media? Well, the book will be out uh, in the early spring of next year. We're just putting the final touches on it right now. It's been a two-year project for us. So it's uh, currently available on Amazon right now for pre-order. So you can get an early copy if you, you know, you can get one of the first copies that come off the press when it does become available. Our, our publisher, Q Publishing, which is owned by Pearson, is going to be making it a, a pretty high priority in terms of its uh, lineup for the spring. So we anticipate getting an enormous amount of media. I think you're going to see us pop up on uh, lots of little podcasts, lots of blogs, and then, of course, on the national network, CNN, and that kind of thing. That's sort of in line, so it'll be hard to avoid us, sorry to say. <laughs> um, if you want to follow our, our processes and what we're doing, uh, we have a website, readsuperu.com. And one of the things we're going to be doing on that mailing list is we're going to be making available some of the clips from the dozens and dozens of scientists and, and thinkers that we've interviewed for this book because we recorded all of them and just ongoingly provide uh, tip sheets and things like that to anybody who subscribed to a mailing list to give them further insights into the book and, and also announce, obviously, future books and versions like that. So there's a lot. This is the beginning. You write, finish a book and you think, oh, I'm done, but actually it's just the beginning of our journey in, in this adventure. So we're kind of excited about it. I know that Kay is going to be doing a lot of the topics that she's been fascinated by. What are some of the things that you're going to be interested Definitely um, brain hacks mm -hmm. and um, designer babies will be speaking a lot of that. And uh, we also have a chapter on cosmetic enhancements. So, so you know, that kind of interests me. Um, yeah. All right. So, well, a lot to look forward to. Andy and Kay, thanks for joining us on Longevity Now. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Many people hope that future technology will allow us to eradicate the bad parts of human nature and allow us to become superhuman. But it is not a guarantee. I think the more the topic is discussed, the greater the odds of a good outcome. So I'm glad to see Andy and Kay 
adding their thoughts to the topic. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.